Chapter 9 of The Fortune Hunter, a novel of New York Society. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly S. Taylor. The love that is o'er in expiring gives birth to a new one as warm as unequaled in bliss. More. Put down that book, dear Esther, leave the children of the Abbey, for I have something to converse with you about. Esther was lying on her bed, although it was hardly midday, wholly absorbed in the sorrows of Amanda, and in comparing that unfortunate young lady's situation to her own. What do you want, Rachel? You are always interrupting me in the most interesting part, but you never read. You cannot live in the ideal world in which I dwell, which I people with familiar spirits. With you, all is cold reality. All is reality, sister, but there is no coldness mingled with it, at least not towards you. How I wish I could convince you that you are injuring and destroying your mind by the species of dissipation in which you daily indulge. May it not be justly called dissipation? Does it not bear a fearful resemblance to the worst kind of inebriation? You have taught yourself to need this stimulus of your imagination as much as the inebriate needs his dram, you are miserable without it, and more miserable with it. Your body is enervated by a want of healthful exercise, and your mind enfeebled by perpetual excitement. You look upon all events of life through a false and distorted medium, and you are continually led into errors, some of which may entail lasting unhappiness upon you. Have you done, Rachel? said esther with dignity methinks there is less poetry than fiction and grossness in your similes but they pass by me like the idle wind which i respect not i feared as much yet i hope for this once you will not turn a deaf ear to my counsel sister you are under some strange delusion concerning young chadwick and i fear the consequence to my certain knowledge, Edgar is the suitor of Arya Walton, and not yours. "'Tis ever thus that I am persecuted, the envy of others, and their dread that I shall return the affection lavished upon me in bitter my life. What envy can there be in this case, Esther? I tell you the simple truth, and my only motive is to save you from committing yourself through misinterpretation of the intentions of Mr. Chadwick. Who shall judge our motives? ejaculated Esther, showing a considerable portion of the white part of her eyes as she looked supplicatingly upward. Then you will not believe me? I believe nothing but what my own heart tells me, what the guardian spirits hovering about me whisper in my ears. That, I believe, and that only. Rachel was at a loss of what further to say. It was impossible to convince her sister of her error, yet the delusion under which she was laboring might entail the most disagreeable consequences. 
Esther, resumed she, Mr. Chadwick is coming here this afternoon. Bring the sketch I desired he would procure me. I beg you will see him and endeavor to discover whether or not I have spoken falsely to you. Will you do this? I will see him, will listen to him, but the words which he will breathe are already engraven on my heart. But I love him. In the face of the world I avow him and only him that he has long secretly loved me and that I have known it I can never deny. If he has loved you, why should he love secretly? Why has he not offered himself? His noble nature forbade it. Fate, ever blind in bestowing her gifts, has denied him wealth, while she has made me rich as a fairy's wand could have commanded. He feared to ask my hand, lest the tongue of Colmony should whisper that he sighed not for it alone. I have long seen his heart, and his generosity shall be rewarded. Beware what you do, Esther. I am aware. Love is often unwary, but my love is under the guidance of wisdom. Interrupt me no longer, sister. You have called me back from the world of fiction to a world that is unblessed by rainbow hues. I sicken of your false counsels. Therefore, do not disturb me again. Esther resumed her book, and tears which never coursed from her cheeks for the real sorrows of many a poor wretch whom her bounty might have succored were soon streaming from her eyes for the ideal griefs of ideal beings rachel knew that it was useless to argue with her and left the room to assist in her mother's household occupations that mother from whom her exertions seldom met an approving word in whose ear she longed but dared not to breathe how tenderly she loved her. Twice during that morning Edgar Chadwick had called at Mrs. Lemming's. It was the day succeeding the one which had brought Aria so many trials. On neither occasion could he gain admittance. The answer he received was that the ladies were particularly engaged. He requested to see Miss Walton, but it was Mrs. Lemming's order that the same reply should be made to his demand. Surprised and vexed, he determined to call upon the Clintons this afternoon, with the sketch he had procured for Rachel, for he hoped to receive some explanation of Aria's conduct from them, or at least to send her a message through Rachel. He found Esther in the parlor alone, finishing the last thrilling page of the children of the abbey rachel was not at home esther started up joyfully extending her hand and then hung down her head as though she hoped her loosely flowing hair would conceal her glowing cheeks mr chadwick was so much accustomed to her manner that it did not in the least surprise him he seated himself beside her wholly unconscious of the tender glances which ever and anon assailed him. "'Your looks are serious,' said Esther. "'Have you any cause of grief?' "'Am I serious?' rejoined Edgar, with a livelier air. "'Well, I suppose my tell-tale looks are only proclaiming my thoughts. 
I was thinking it was a very pleasant thing to get married, but a very vexatious one to have to wait half one's life. Esther looked as though she thought this a proper occasion to blush, and perhaps her color did vary slightly as she replied, "'That vexation should never be yours, and Hymen should come to you crowned with roses of joy.' But Hymen is determined to approach me only on crutches, and I, being of a rather impatient disposition, am somewhat annoyed at the slowness of his pace. Would it not be a happiness to you to know that your love was returned, more than returned? I should not be a stoic if it were not. Then be happy, murmured Esther, scanning the pattern of the carpet. And so I am— but it does not prevent my regretting that circumstances so often forbid my beholding the lady of my love. She ever desires to see you, replied Esther tenderly, does she? I thank her for that as heartily as I wish that all her desires could be accomplished. You are very good, Miss Esther, to take such interest in this affair of mine, and I have a request to make which your kindness leads me to think you will not refuse. Refuse? "'I can refuse you nothing. "'Make not your request,' she continued, with unwanted energy. "'I have divined it already, already granted it, Edgar. "'Your noble, generous heart has long made you fearful of breathing your wishes, "'but now feeling will give its way, and you can no longer be silent. "'All that you would ask is granted, unasked. "'My heart has long been yours. "'My hand henceforth shall be.' Esther hid her face with one hand and laid the other on the open palm of Mr. Chadwick. Wonderstruck, perplexed, and alarmed, he knew not how to reply and was withdrawing his hand, but her warm grasp prevented him. The momentary silence was interrupted by Esther. "'Have I overstepped the bounds of maidenly modesty by this confession?' said she. Oh, I feel I have not done so. You feared to demand my hand because that hand belonged to an heiress, and I am blessed by fate that permitted me to bestow wealth upon you by offering it. How the plague shall I get out of this dilemma? thought Chadwick. The girl is certainly possessed. Who could have foreseen such a denouement? Your feelings overcome you. "'And you are silent,' said Esther, half reproachfully. "'Miss Clinton, I am very sorry. "'You have placed me in a very difficult situation. "'I have always had a great esteem for you, but—' "'But you are afraid of being misconstrued by the world, "'the harsh, judging, censorious world, "'preventing your confessing it.' "'Not so. "'I earnestly desire not to wound your feelings.' but I must undeceive you. The heart we love, and that loves us, is easiest wounded, but your words, Edgar, are all too dear to me for them to give pain. Speak freely, as though you are but whispering your thoughts to yourself. What am I but your other self? This is a species of insanity, thought Edgar, and I must deal with her, even though as I would deal with an insane person. The lesson she must now receive may cure her forever. This is my first case, to be sure. 
and I am practicing without a diploma, but there is no mistaking the medicine. He turned to Esther and said, with less consideration than before, Miss Clinton, you have deceived yourself. That neither my words nor actions could have deceived you, I feel certain. I had no intention of requesting your hand or winning your affections. My own affections have long been engaged to Miss Walton, and I presumed you were aware of the fact. Aria! Aria! almost shrieked Esther. Have you brought this misery upon me? What sorcery has she used? Tell me, when was it that she robbed me of your heart, the heart that was mine but is so no more? Miss Walton has possessed my affections since I first became acquainted with her. And you dare tell me so? You dare triumph over me, sir, after having so fearfully deceived me? exclaimed Esther with irrepressible excitement. Man, man, know you not that woman's love may turn to the deadliest hate? Then know it now. As I loved you once, so now I hate you. Leave my presence. Never again offend my sight. Go hence, and may the memory of the heart you have broken follow you and strew thorns in your way. I will leave you as soon as you desire, Miss Clinton. Believe me, I sincerely regret the occurrence of this afternoon. You have the promise of a man of honor that not a word that has passed between us shall ever be repeated. When we meet again, I hope that all will be forgotten and that you will extend to me the hand of friendship. Good afternoon. He is gone, ejaculated Esther as the doors closed upon him. Cruel, cruel. He has left the victim of his arts to weep over his deception. She threw herself upon the couch and shed tears of mortified vanity. Her feelings had received a great shock, but the spell was not yet broken. She had fed her mind with romance until she considered herself a heroine, and on that subject was, in reality, a monomaniac. Could she have reflected rationally on her own conduct, Mr. Chadwick's rebuke would have had a beneficial influence. But she saw his actions in the false light of her imagination, and looked upon herself as the most injured of beings. Esther was still bemoaning her fate, and canvassing the propriety of revenging herself upon her imaginary lover, when the street bell rang, and in answer to its summons, Mr. Brainerd was admitted. Brainerd had twice that morning escaped a reconnoitre with Mr. Badger, once by shutting himself in his own clothes press, and a second time by jumping into an omnibus as he perceived his inconvenient acquaintance approaching him. These narrow escapes had quite driven Aria out of his head, although not from his heart, 
and he was determined to hear his fate from the lips of miss esther that very night a more opportune mo moment for forwarding his suit could hardly have presented itself the wound in esther's heart created by the loss of a false lover could only be healed by the balm applied by a true one esther received mr brainard with unusual demonstrations of pleasure he quickly entered upon the subject nearest not to his heart but to his pocket and in a few moments more might have been an accepted lover had not the entrance of rachel and mrs clinton prevented esther's rendering him happy by her answer tea was served and mr brainard took a seat by esther's side but he found no opportunity of resuming the subject for a second time so unfortunately broken off rachel was just pouring out a third cup for mr brainard when a servant informed him that a gentleman at the door a friend of mr brainard's he called himself desired to see him immediately poor brainard's complexion varied perceptibly at this intelligence the only friend he dreaded seeing it surely be he won't you invite him in said the hospitable miss clinton if his visit is one of business the back parlour is at your service oh no 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 i thank you no said brainard rising hastily it is not anybody at all nobody of consequence i cannot imagine who it can be but brainard had imagined and when he reached the street door he found that he had imagined correctly how do you do my dear fellow delighted to see you been looking for you all over town exclaimed mr badger at the highest pitch of his stentorian voice thought i'd find you here pretty girl i saw you within broadway eh fine eyes fine woman affairs getting on well courtship slow work must make haste women like you all the better going ahead with dispatch eh my dear mr badger said brainard in the most conciliatory tone i heard that you called my rooms this morning i was really very sorry to miss you you have taken a great deal of trouble to come this distance but really you must excuse me at present no trouble at all my dear fellow business never troubles me prefer calling at a house where there's a pretty girl how is she eh mr badger if you do not wish to ruin me will you not invite your friend to walk in mr brainard said mrs clinton whose old-fashioned ideas of civility made it incumbent upon her to entertain all the visitors of her own visitors walk in sir will you not much obliged to you very happy your ladyship said badger before brainard could prevent him very happy to make your acquaintance how's your ladyship's daughter beautiful girl charming girl fine girl fine eyes had the pleasure of being introduced to you by my friend brainard particular friend of mine mrs clinton looked astonished at the extraordinary ease and self-possession of mr badger and brainard almost beside himself drew the lady's arm within his reconducted her without her own consent into the parlour and whispered 
Pray, do not be alarmed. There is something wrong with this individual here. He touched his forehead. But he is quite harmless. Do not be alarmed. He turned hastily to rejoin Mr. Badger and found him already at the parlor door. Come with me into the entry. I have a few words to say to you in private, said Mr. Brainer, smothering with difficulty his rising wrath. "'But, my dear fellow, it would be very rude for me to refuse this lady's invitation. "'Never refuse invitations from a lady,' Mr. Badger winked his eye significantly. "'Twon't do always offend them. Make it a rule never to offend a lady.' "'I will answer for it that Mrs. Clinton shall not be offended, and I must speak with you.' Brainerd forced his friends nearer to the street door, and then continued, "'If nothing goes wrong, I shall be married in the course of a month. All your claims will be cancelled. Will that not content you?' "'Me? Certainly! Most easily contented man in the country! Great country! Great country! But Delmonico, my dear fellow, Delmonico won't wait, never waits, must have his money. Like the old Jew in the play, must have his money. Ever seen Shylock in Portia? Sublime! Sublime! Must go see MacReady! Fine play! Fine fellow!' great fella sublime only leave me now badger a thought has struck me i think i may see awaiting you speedily you spoke of jews if it is possible for me to borrow any money and there are jews in the city who lend you shall be paid without further delay must make it possible my dear fellow faith makes everything possible great thing must have faith nothing like it i have i have good evening call at my rooms brainard had by this time dexterously managed to get his friend upon the stoop and breaking away from him suddenly closed the street door in his face he waited a few moments in the entry fearing that badger's pernacity of character might induce him to ring the bell for the sake of making some further inquiry. A low chuckle and the noise of unequal footsteps descending from the porch were the only sounds that met his ear, and once more he re-entered the parlor. The excitement produced by Mr. Badger's visit rendered him desperate. Without even attempting to escape observation, he drew Miss Esther to the window, and declared himself to be her adorer, entreated that she would immediately put an end to his suspense. He did not add that he requested an instant reply, because he had somebody else in view, but as the thought often crossed his mind, and he was so much bewildered that he hardly knew what he was saying, he ran some risk of making a similar confession. Esther's answer was all that he could have desired and something more. She promised to be his, eternally his, to love him alone, and to remain ever by his side, and to find her whole happiness in his presence. Brainerd returned home singing that night, and never once changed the notes to a whistle, until he thought of Aria Walton. End of chapter 9